Friends, one of the signs of our sinfulness is that we are often restless. Restless for many things. Restless because we worry. Restless because um, we lack the peace, an inner peace that we seek to figure out how to procure for ourselves, but we often can't. In the song we have just sung, um, the second stanza says some truth that is so powerful that I want to make sure we, we hear it again. The second stanza of the song we have just sung says, No recitation of the truth. And we, we do some of that recitation here in our services, right? No recitation of the truth can justify a single wrong. My righteousness is Jesus' life. My debt was paid by Jesus' death. My weary load was borne by him, and he alone can give me rest. The rest that we need is the rest that God can give us. The rest that we are searching for is a rest that God alone can give. Friends, that rest comes to us only as we place our reliance entirely upon Jesus. One of the areas, one of the ways in which our lack of trust in God manifests is restlessness. So this morning, as we are looking at the book of Isaiah, I encourage you, to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 36. We'll be reading God's Word. Uh, We'll be reading two chapters, chapter 36 and chapter 37. If you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, you may find this passage on page number 596 as you open God's Word to this place in in, in, in your Bibles. I want to remind you that today we are working uh, through this story that we began last week. Um, This passage uh, that we began uh, last week is a story of of King Hezekiah being threatened uh, and being uh, under siege uh, from the army uh, of Assyria. As a matter of fact, uh, this story is, is the hinge of the entire book of Isaiah. Let's read God's word together. And I realize we have read it last Sunday. We're going to read it again because it does so much good to our soul to hear this story read again. And then, by God's grace, we will look at the second half of this sermon that really covered last week and today as well. Let's hear God's word uh, read for our hearts this morning. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah, at Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, 
that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, Please, Speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice, the language of Judah. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me, and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine, and each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware, lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of, the land, of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. They were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, Do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. As soon as the king Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth, sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priests, covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace 
children have come to the point of birth and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer to the remnant that is left. When the servants of the king Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. The Rapshake returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Tirhaka, the king of Cush. He has set out to fight against you, and when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden, who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, the king of Hena, or the king of Ivah? Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned be above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of man's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Then is Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have mocked the Lord, and you have said, with my many chariots, I have gone up 
the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon, to cut down its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses, to come to its remotest height, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank waters to dry up the sole of my foot, all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from the days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed, dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it is grown. I know you're sitting down, and you're going out, and coming in, and you're raging against me. Because you have ra raged against me, and your complacency have, has come to my ears, I will put a hook, I will put my hook in your nose, and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And this shall be the sign for you. This year you shall eat what grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from that. Then in the third year sow and reap, and plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward, and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down a hundred and eighty-five thousand in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, before these were all dead bodies, then Sennacherib king of Assyria departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech and Sharezer, his sons struck him down with a sword, and after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Ezar Hadon, his son, reigned in his place. Amen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, asking the Lord to bless the preaching of his word for our hearts. Let's pray. Father, your word is trustworthy. As we stand before you and before the word that we have just heard, Father, we pray that through the preaching and the proclamation of this word, that you would speak life into our souls, that you would encourage us and build us up with trust so that we may trust in you entirely. Would you do so for the glory of your name and through the power of your Holy Spirit? In the name of Christ we pray. Friends, this story, we have looked at the first half of it last Sunday. If you would like to hear that uh, half, you are welcome to go to our website and listen to it online. Uh, this morning, as we are looking at this story, we will focus on the last half of it. 
But just as a review, this uh, story, this narrative of King Hezekiah uh, stands, like I said, as a hinge for the entire book of Isaiah. This, is, this story and the next two chapters are the last narrative of the book. And what happens here determines the, the rest of the book of Isaiah. Four points in this narrative about trust, about trusting in the Lord. The first four points, the first two of them we looked at last week already. Uh, examine where your trust rests. That is the first point of the story. Examine where your trust rests. Mere belief in God or acceptance that God exists does not mean that your trust is necessarily in the Lord. We saw that in the story of King Hezekiah and his father Ahaz. Uh, we saw particularly how Ahaz believed that the Lord existed. He believed that the Lord was true, yet Ahaz did not rely on the Lord. So examine where your trust rests. That is the first point of this narrative. The second point of this narrative is that the enemy does not want you to trust in God. We saw last week several tactics the enemy uses to lure us not to rely on the Lord. And friends, this, the, these tactics are not just once and for all. These tactics attack us, lure us all the time. And we need to be aware of the various ways in which the enemy lures us not to put our trust in the Lord. Well, this morning, we want to look at the last two points of this narrative. And these points are the following. Steps of trusting in God. And the final point, reasons to trust in God. So we will look at these two points. Steps in trusting in God. And then reasons to trust in God. Let's look at steps of trusting in God. From this narrative, unlike his father Ahaz, when Hezekiah hears of the message from the king of Assyria, notice what he does. Notice what King Hezekiah does when he hears the message from the king of Assyria. These actions that Hezekiah does reveals a heart that begins trusting in the Lord. Now, when I say that because even King Hezekiah, even though he's a, a model for us now in this story of how to trust in the Lord, he himself did not always trust in the Lord. And what we see in this story, a heart that begins to trust in the Lord. So what, what does Hezekiah do? How does he respond? And his response shows us some of the steps of what is involved in trusting in the Lord. We're going to see a few points, a few steps in this, in this first major point. Trust in the Lord begins with humility before the Lord. Trust in the Lord begins with humility before the Lord. The acts of tearing one's clothes and covering oneself with sackcloth is found quite often in the Old Testament. We, we don't practice that today, and we're not told to practice that today. But in the Old Testament, these two actions, these two gestures of, of ripping out your, your clothes, your shirt, whatever you have on you, ripping it off, was first of all a sign of intense sorrow. It was also used as, as an indicator of intense fear, anger, or frustration. But most often, it was used as a gesture of deep, deep sorrow. 
the act of taking on sackcloth is also found several times, quite often in the Old Testament. The, the act of putting on sackcloth was a ritual and a gesture that expressed repentance and humility. Both of these images, tearing off one's clothes and putting on sackcloth and, and walking on with, with, with clothes torn apart and sackcloth on, both of these images express a deep sorrow and the humility and the repentance that King Hezekiah now responds and brings to the Lord. These actions were not meant to draw attention to Hezekiah. No, they were external signs by which Hezekiah humbled himself before the Lord. No more pretending that things were fine. No more trying to put up a good front. Trying to protect a good external image. Pretending is over. Trust in the Lord begins when we give up pretending that all is fine. Trust in the Lord goes hand in hand with humility before the Lord. Sometimes people want to, to humble themselves before God, but they still want to keep up a good front. Friends, that doesn't go well. When we fail to cultivate humility, we don't trust in the Lord. We trust in ourselves. We trust in, external, in our external image. We trust in our abilities. When you see a proud attitude, you can count there's little trust in the Lord. When you see someone more concerned about external image, you can count there's low trust in the Lord. Part of the reason why the touring of the clothes and the putting on of sackcloth was part of this gesture was to say, I don't care what people think about me anymore. I am humbled. It's very clear. I am no longer trying to pretend like all is fine. It's when we try to keep the Sunday smile. It's when we try to keep a good posture and are afraid of, of letting people know of our brokenness, of letting people see the, 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 the struggle of, our, of the heart it's when we try to pretend to, the, to others that we're something we're not. When we see not only an additive pride, we see also an additive lack of trust. Some may say this morning, well, how do I grow in trusting in the Lord? How can I grow in this ability to trust in the Lord? Well, friends, trusting in the Lord goes hand in hand with humility before the Lord. Ask yourself if you see in you an attitude of humility before the Lord. Do you find in, your, in you a heart ready to repent? Are you aware of your spiritual needs? Are you aware of your spiritual weaknesses? Are you willing to come before the Lord acknowledging those needs and confessing your sins? Are you willing to let someone else know about that as well? So that it's not just you holding on to those privately. Friends, trust in the Lord begins with humility. For the Lord. Trust in the Lord, second of all, a second sub-point of this first major point, trust in the Lord grows as we seek the Lord. Notice in 37 verse 1, 
Notice what Hezekiah does when he hears uh, the, 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 the news. He tore his clothes, he puts on sackcloth, but then he goes with the news to the house of the Lord. That's interesting. He takes the news to the house of the Lord. He wanted to process this news in God's temple. Why? Because in the Old Testament, the temple was associated with the presence of God. Hezekiah also sent for the Lord's prophet, for Isaiah, and asked Isaiah to pray to the Lord. In verse 3, Hezekiah tells us a picture from the realm of childbirth. The picture in verse 3 is quite telling. He says, children have come to the point of birth, and there's no strength to bring them forth. What an odd picture for a man to declare. This picture reveals Hezekiah's confession of utter hopelessness, both for him and for the nation. There's no more human strength left. They cannot carry out their plans. It's done. Earlier in Isaiah, the picture of childbirth was, was used before and compared uh, the, the pic- a woman in labor to the nation of Israel and um, the, the woman in labor who was ready to give time uh, to give birth. And when it came time to give birth, this woman gave birth to wind. A picture in which the plans of God's people were not accomplished. Here in chapter 37, the imagery of giving birth has a slightly different point. It shows that human strength falls short, and it falls short right when you need it the most. After nine months of being pregnant, you are ready to deliver, and there is no human strength to push. He's saying through this image, in essence, if deliverance will happen, it will not be because of any human strength. We're done. Oh, friends, this is what it means to trust in God. To acknowledge that human strength is insufficient. Human strength is not reliable. Trying to bring about change in our lives on our own, by our own strength, will leave us empty. With such certainty in the hopeless of human strength, Hezekiah turns his leaning entirely upon God. And we see it in how Hezekiah turns to prayer as he calls for others to pray to God. In verse 4, friends, our trust in the Lord grows as we express the insufficiency of human strength and as we turn to God in prayer. Friends, are there things in your life that you have held on to believing that you can handle it on your own? Perhaps a difficult work project or a very demanding boss Perhaps a difficult class with a difficult assignment. Perhaps you're facing situations that are beyond your control. Do you confess regularly the insufficiency of human strength, of your strength, and turn to the Lord in prayer for those matters? Don't be afraid to pray for the details of your life and to ask others to pray for you. You know, I was encouraged a few weeks ago, one of our deacons uh, came and said, hey, would you call the people on Sunday night, on the Sunday evening prayer service, to pray for a, a particular need that our facility has because this thing is way greater than we can handle it. We need the Lord to lead us and intervene in this situation. He said, well, you know, we don't want to bother God with just physical needs for this facility. No, friends, anything, anything that you 
thing that you can do on your own. And you say, oh, I don't need to bother God with that. Oh, friends, if you say you don't need to bother God with that, that means you think that you can handle it on your own. And until you come like Hezekiah to say, children are, are to the point of giving birth, but there's no strength to push. Until you come to that realization that human strength is insufficient, you will not experience. You will not grow in this trust in the Lord. Don't be afraid to pray for the details of your life and to ask others to pray for you. Hezekiah went to the temple of God and asked Isaiah to pray for the Lord, for the remnant. Friends, let me tell you one, one area in which I've seen some, sometimes members, uh, even among us, sometimes they are afraid of letting the church know to pray for them. Oh, I don't want, the, I don't want to let the church know to pray about this. It's either something too private or too personal or too whatever. Friends, don't be afraid to let the people of God pray for you. Humble yourself. Ask others to pray for you. A third way in which we see this trust in the Lord here is trust in the Lord manifests as we prioritize the Lord. Trust in the Lord manifests as we prioritize the Lord. Notice in verse 4 that Hezekiah was concerned first not with his request, but that God has been mocked. Now, it's true that Hezekiah was concerned for the remnant that was left. In verse 4, Hezekiah asked Isaiah to pray for the remnant. But Hezekiah's first concern was not the remnant. Hezekiah's first concern was the glory and the honor of God. By this time in the story, we have been told that all the fortified cities of Judah have been conquered. The army, the war equipment in all the other cities in Judah have been taken no more fortified cities. At this point, there's been a lot of hurting throughout the land of Judah. But as Hezekiah's prayer begins to understand the right priority, it's not ultimately about what they lost. Let me say that again. It's not ultimately about what they lost. It's about the honor of God. It's about God being mocked. And that is where Hezekiah begins to grieve and pray. Friends, if you were in Hezekiah's place, when, you, when Hezekiah heard this news, would the honor of God have been your first concern? Friends, you think about how often we tend to grieve more about our hurts than about the honor of God. After Hezekiah receives a letter from, from the Rabshakeh, Hezekiah turns to prayer himself. It's not enough for him simply to ask others to pray, but then he himself turns to prayer, and his own prayer manifests the same priority of focusing on who the Lord is. Look at verse 15 in chapter 37. Hezekiah says in verse 15, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heaven and the earth. In verse 17, Hezekiah continues to be concerned for the mocking of God. In verse 18, Hezekiah compares God with the false gods and declares that their gods rightly were defeated because they were false gods. But he knows that his God is real, able to hear and able to act. In verse 20, Hezekiah asks God, 
to save them, not for their own sake, but for the sake that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. This is the only request that Hezekiah makes, that God would save them. But in, even in this request, their motivation is that God's name would be na- made known among the nations, that God is the only true God. No self-pity, no request to escape the hurt, only that God's fame would increase. This prayer shows the kind of priorities of a heart that trusts in God. Friends, trusting in the Lord manifests when we prioritize the Lord's honor and glory even in our prayers. We manifest our trust in the Lord when we come to realize that our own lives are not ultimately about us, but about Him. Friends, even our prayer life can be infected sometimes by a sinful self-centeredness where we become consumed with ourselves and with our needs and we miss focusing on the Lord even while praying. Now, does this mean that we should not bring our hurts to the Lord? Absolutely not. We see in the book of Psalms often when the psalmist brings the human hurts to the Lord. But, but we should put our needs on the back burner and put the honor of God front stage, even of our prayer life. Hezekiah shows his God-centeredness even in his prayer life and spends more time speaking about who God is rather than about what he needs. Is that the way we pray and show trust in the Lord? Friends, we have seen these areas, these steps of trusting in the Lord. Now, let's look at the second point, the, the last point of this narrative, reasons to trust in the Lord. Why should we trust in the Lord? As we look at the reasons to trust in the Lord, we're going to look at the second half of chapter 37 and see God's answer to Hezekiah's prayer. And, and the way God answers to Hezekiah's prayer is filled with reasons why we should trust in the Lord. Here's the first sub-point of why we should trust in the Lord. First of all, because God hears the prayers of his people. Because God hears the prayers of his people. Look at verse 21. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib. And so I love that introduction. I'm answering, Hezekiah. I'm answering. But hear how God prefaces his answer. Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib. Friends, God intervenes to save his people. And God wants them to know that he intervenes because they have turned their hearts towards the Lord in trust. And they show that trust by their life of prayer. Friends, does this mean that our prayers move the hand of God as if we take control of God's hand? There's a quote out there that says, by the way, it's a very misleading quote. It says this, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Friends, that's not true. In praying, we don't move the hand of God. In praying, we don't take control of God. Rather, God takes control of us. In prayer, God grabs our hearts. As God has determined to show his 
his mighty act in response to the prayers of his people, but his responses have been determined. We don't, we don't control God. God controls us even in prayer. And prayer, if anything, shows our dependency upon the Lord. Whenever God desires to do a mighty work, he often will prompt his people to pray first. That's why, dear friends, seeking God in prayer is a great privilege. It's not a duty. Of course, God commands us to pray, but it's a privilege. It's in a way in which we show our dependence upon the Lord. Whenever we turn to prayer, we turn in trust to the Lord. We don't pray because we want certain results from God. We pray because we trust in God, and we trust that His plans are better than ours. We pray because we trust in the Lord. Our prayer life is an indicator, an indicator of our trust. If you don't pray much, you're not trusting much. As a congregation, several years ago, we started the Sunday night prayer service to focus as a congregation on prayer, to call the congregation to regular prayer, not just individually, not just in your closets, not just in small groups, but as a congregation. We want to encourage all and call all to come to the Lord, to come to the house of the Lord, to seek the Lord in prayer. And I'm encouraged to see the growth uh, in, and more and more people making time on Sunday nights to gather and to pray. It's a slow growth, but it's a sure growth, and I pray for more of it. The first reason to trust in God is because we know that He is a God who responds when His people rely on Him and show that reliance through prayer. Why trust in God? A second sub-point, because God associates Himself with His people. In verse 22, God confirms that indeed Assyria has been mocking the people of Judah. That's what we see in verse 22. She despises you. She scorns you. She wags her head behind you. All this is about the, about the people of, of Judah. But then in verse 23, God says that Assyria actually mocked the living God. So which one is it? Did she mock, Assyria? Did she mock Jer- uh, Jerusalem or did she mock God? The answer is it's both. Why? Because God associates himself with his people. When we disregard the people of God, we disregard God himself. Remember how in the book of Acts, a man by the name of Saul was going around to persecute Christians. And Christ appeared to him in a vision and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? God associates himself. Christ identified himself in in persecution uh, with these Christians who suffer, oh dear believer, take comfort in this truth that God is with his people in their trials. And he identifies himself with the plight of his people. We can trust God because God associates himself with his people. Why trust God? A third sub-point. Because God is sovereign and he determines the future. Look at what, how God speaks about Assyria that all her plans were made long ago by God himself. Look at verse 26. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned it from days of old, what now I bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins. In other words, God is saying to Assyria, or about Assyria, that her conquests have been God's plans from long ago. God was a sovereign one even over a Gentile nation like Assyria 
who acted against God. God made Assyria succeed. And even though Assyria had no fear of God, Assyria was still, still acted to fulfill God's mysterious plan. Interesting, the language of fortified cities is puzzling. God planned that Assyria would bring to ruin fortified cities. Do you remember how the story begins in chapter 36, verse 1? Let's read the first verse again. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Assyria came all against all the fortified cities of Judah and destroyed them. Chapter 37 verse 26 tells us that God planned it long ago that Assyria would bring low all the fortified cities. In other words, God had planned long ago to destroy even the fortified cities of Judah itself. Trust in the Lord, dear friends, because He is sovereign even in our troubles. Even when He allows the enemy to take away from us our, our fortified places. Friends, even when God allows trials to come, He's sovereign over them. We may fear today that North Korea is getting out of control with their nuclear program. Well, friends, they may get out of our control, but they're not out of God's control. If they succeed anything, it is not over God's control. God plans the destinies even of the nations that despise God. Why trust in God? Because He's sovereign, and He knows the future, and not only He knows the future, he determines it. Why trust God? A fourth sub-point, because God knows our hearts and our behavior. God said even this about Assyria in verse 28. I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and raging against me. Friends, if God knew that about the entire Assyrian army, about the entire Assyrian nation that was against God, how much more does he know that about you and I? How much more does he know that about just an individual? And then God knows not only our behavior. God knows what's in the heart. God says, I know you're raging against me. If you, in your heart, despise God, God knows it. God knows what's in, the, in our hearts towards him. Even though God uses Assyria as a rod of his discipline, still Listen to God, how God exposes Assyria's heart attitude against God. Verse 29, because you have raged against me and your complacency has come to my ears. God knows when we're complacent against him. And God knows that not only about us, God knows that about a nation such as Assyria. Friends, no one can hide their heart attitude from God. Whether we rage against God or are complacent towards him, Whatever else we might have in our hearts, distrust towards Him and trust in other things, God knows it. You can trust God because He knows our hearts and our every behavior. Why trust God? Another sub-point. A fifth one. Because God will make His remnant flourish. God will make His remnant flourish. While God promised the destruction of Assyria, he also promised that a remnant from among his people 
will flourish again. In verse 30, God gives his people a sign. And the sign is that even though they will not be able to sow seeds, they will reap a harvest for the next two years. Not just one year as an accident, but, the, but two years. Imagine no sowing, no plowing, and yet you reap a harvest. Who brings that about? The Lord does. And then, in the, and then it says, in the third year, you'll start to be able to sow, and you'll start to be able to plow, and you'll start to be able to plant vineyards. And the point in verse 31 is, and the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. God promises that his remnant will become stable and fruitful. Just as God promised to feed his people over the next two years at that time, without them doing anything, so also God will make his remnant flourish by developing roots and bearing fruit. Friends, it is God who makes his people fruitful and stable. He makes them grow. Sometimes people ask, what should we do to grow as a church? And people give all kinds of answers. Some will say, well, you need to, you need to change your music. Or you need to have a great facility. Or you need to be out in the community. Or you need to do this or do that. Well, friends, the biblical answer to the question, what do we need to grow, is trust in the Lord. Turn your confidence to the Lord. Turn your attention to the Lord. Let the Lord be the one you trust fully, and He will make you fruitful, and He will tell you what to do. But make your confidence to be fully in the Lord. Finally, what, why trust the Lord? final reason why we should trust the Lord because God's word I'm sorry it's not the final the second final because God's word is true and reliable verse 33 God says that Assyria will never come again against Jerusalem and will not enter into it why verse 35 God says for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David God promises to be their defender now, why is this a big deal? Remember how the story began in, when Rav Shakeh comes in chapter 36 for the first time uh, to the wall of Jerusalem and challenged Hezekiah to examine his trust. Rav Shakeh said, in whom do you trust? That was the first question. And the second question, he asked, do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? It's a great question. Mere words, mere human words, are no strategy and no power for war. But God's word is different. If the words Rav Shakeh was talking about were the words that Isaiah spoke from God, well, those words were strategy and power for war. God's word, as the book of Romans says, God's word, God calls into existence the things that did not exist, that do not exist. That is the power of God's word. God is also able to speak to the dead and they come to life merely because God speaks. And what God says will happen. Earlier in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, here's what God said to, through his prophet. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so it shall be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land. 
Those were words that God said through his prophet Isaiah to his people earlier. They were words spoken by Isaiah. They were not mere words. They were the word of God. Then here's later. This was God's word uh, that he spoke about what he will do against the enemies of God's people. Isaiah 17, 14. At evening time, behold terror. Before morning, they are no more. This was a second promise God had given through his prophet Isaiah about the enemies of God's people. If God's people only listened to the word of God and would have taken it as a strategy for war, if God's people would have embraced the word of God and believed it and trusted it, oh, friends, in Isaiah 37, 38, we are told that God sent out his angel and killed 185,000 of the Assyrian army. God alone, without any human help, was able to defeat the Assyrian army in God's own land. Why? Because the word of God does not need any human help to accomplish God's purposes. So when Rav Shakeh asks, do you think that mere words are a strategy and power for war? The answer is yes, if it's the word of God. That's the point of the story. To help God's people believe that God's word is a better strategy. It's a, it's a, it's a greater power for war than any other human resource. The Bible is the word of God. A few weeks ago, I mentioned the story of Lance Armstrong and how he refused to think that he should guide his life by the words of a book. And he spoke of that in disdain for the word of God, for the Bible. Friends, the attack of the kingdom of darkness is to lure us to think that God's word, the Bible, are mere human words, and that God's revelation in Scripture is somehow insufficient for being a strategy to guide our lives. Or somehow that these words in this book are not powerful or have no authority over us. Friends, the people who trust God trust His words as revealed in the Bible. You don't trust God's word, you don't trust God. If that's where you are, that's fine. But you will reap the benefits of your mistrust in something other than God. God allowed all the fortified cities of Judah to be defeated first. God allowed it. Not only God allowed it, God determined it. In order to show them that God alone was enough for them. God wanted to wipe out all the army, all the artillery, all the weapons of war. Why? So God could make it clear for his people that God's word is enough as a strategy and power for war against the Assyrians. And that God's word was their greatest strategy for defense. When they got to the end of themselves and turned to the Lord with humility, with repentance, with giving up relying on their fortified cities. And by the way, Lachish, Lachish was the last of the fortified cities. It was the closest to Jerusalem. When that was taken, nothing else was left but Jerusalem. And it's as if God says, I am letting all of that self-defense mechanism that you have built up for yourself be ruined. And in that moment, when you come to the end of yourself, in that moment, I will show myself powerful. 
In that moment, my words are the greatest strategy for war. Friends, this is the evidence that God, what God says is true and it will happen. Why should you trust any other being than the Lord? In some ways, the story reflects the doctrine of justification by faith alone. We are made right with God by merely relying on God and relinquishing any reliance upon ourselves. But our reliance must be a full reliance, a full trust upon God's salvation as he describes it in his word. Friend, God's word says that we can be made right with God only by turning away from our rebellion, our ignorance, our self-reliance, and trusting entirely upon the death of Jesus as a substitute on our behalf. On the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead bodily, from the grave, proving that he alone was able to conquer death and pay in full the penalty of our rebellion so that all those who repent and trust in Jesus alone for deliverance, they will be saved. Friends, that is the only way we can be made right with God. If anyone here this morning has not repented and turned from their sin, from their ignorance of God, from their rebellion against God, Oh, friends, I pray that today you would make that turn and trust in Jesus. Friends, if you'd like to know more about that, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. I'd love to encourage you to speak to another Christian, another believer, about what that means. We can be made right with God when we relinquish, when we surrender any attempts to to build our salvation or our rescue, our lives apart from God. It's when we surrender entirely. That God shows up and comes in and brings deliverance. Why trust in God? Because God's word is reliable. God's word is trustworthy. And finally, why trust in God? Because God alone is a true God. The ending of the story has a great conclusion. In verse 37, the king of Assyria returned home. Verse 38, we are told that the king of Assyria was killed in his own land according to the word of the Lord. Now, if that alone was given to us, it would be enough to celebrate and see exactly what God said would happen, that the king of Assyria would no longer come against Jerusalem. He would go back home, and he would die in his own land. But friends, there's a few more details in this ending that shows the irony, and it shows one final proof of God, of why we should trust God. We are told that Sennacherib was killed not only in his own land, but notice where was the king when he was killed. We are told in verse 38 that he was worshiping in the house of his God. Two kings that went to the temple of their God in this story, Hezekiah and Sennacherib. Why is this extra detail mentioned at the end of this story? Well, remember how in chapter 36, the Rafshakeh attacked not only Hezekiah as being unable to protect the city, the Rafshakeh also attacked Jerusalem's God as, as unable to protect his people from the king of Assyria. Now we are told that Sennacherib's God was unable to protect the king. In some way, the contest in this story is a contest between the God of Sennacherib and the God of Jerusalem the God of Judah. Not only was the God of Judah able to protect Jerusalem and not allow Jerusalem to fall to the king of Assyria, but the story ends that the God of Sennacherib was not able to protect the king of Assyria. God alone 
is a true God. Friends, on that day of judgment, of which we have heard at the beginning of the service, no other God will be able to protect you against the wrath of the eternal almighty God. In that day of judgment, when we will be standing before the throne of God, giving, giving account for our lives, no other gods we have embraced will be able to protect us against God, the, the wrath of God that will come against all those who have rebelled against him. Friends, the only true God that can help us and rescue us, defend us, is the God who is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who sent his only Son, gave his Son to die on a cross so that through the death and his resurrection, rebels like us could be brought to be made children of the living God. Why trust God? Because he is the only true God. Trust him because he's able to keep his people. Friends, as we come to the end of the story, examine in whom do you trust. Hezekiah did not start well. His reign started by trusting in the king of Egypt. He trusted in their horses. He trusted even in making peace with the king of Assyria at first, and all that failed. In the 11th hour, however, Hezekiah finally turned to the Lord. And by the time Judah was conquered and devastated, all that was left to conquer was Jerusalem. But even in that last hour, Hezekiah has turned to the Lord to trust in the Lord and to rest in him for deliverance. Oh, friends, seek, seek the Lord. Trust in him. Examine who you trust. Examine who you do, do you rely on. Is it people? Is it yourself, your strength? Is it human resources, human strength? Your actions will say more about your heart's trust than merely words. Turn to the Lord, for he alone is able to keep us. He will keep his word, and he will keep the remnant of his people. Let's pray. Father, you alone are God. And in your word, you show us not only how to trust in you, but you show us why we should trust in you. You are the God who is able to defend your people. You are the God who is able to keep your people in your grace. Father, we turn to you. We want to worship you because you alone are worthy of our entire trust. Father, be glorified through the trust that your people place in you alone. And we pray that you would act for the glory of your great name.